Hello, my name is Alan Mulhern and this is the Quest series. This podcast is the second on James Lovelock. I hope you have recovered from the first, which described his argument that the mechanisms of the Ice Ages and the reverse greenhouse effects are unavailable or less effective since humanity has destabilised the climate with excess CO2 emissions and the reduction of plant life. To remind you of just some of the most important mechanisms that are regulated by living organisms. The atmospheric composition has remained fairly constant over time on Earth, providing the ideal conditions for contemporary life. Nitrogen and oxygen, 99% of our atmosphere, were either made by organisms or processed by them. Gaia theory states that the Earth's atmospheric composition is kept at a dynamically steady state by the presence of life. Oxygen levels are maintained at close to 20% of total atmospheric gases. Life could not tolerate wide divergences from this. Regulation of global surface temperature. Since life started on Earth, the energy provided by the sun has increased by approximately 25%. However, the surface temperature of the planet has remained within the levels of habitability. The processing of the greenhouse gas CO2 plays a critical role in the maintenance of Earth temperature, allowing life to survive and evolve. The participation of living organisms in the carbon cycle is one of the processes that maintain conditions suitable for life by the removal of atmospheric carbon dioxide CO2. For example, the precipitation or rain on rocks and soil where organisms remove the carbon. Coral reefs where carbon is deposited as a solid on the sea floor. Precipitation into the oceans where it is used as calcium carbonate by living organisms to manufacture carbon shells. Once dead, they fall to the bottom of the ocean where they generate deposits of chalk and limestone. We see these deposits throughout the world in cliffs and mountains where the seabed has risen. Imagine how immense this process has been. The plants and trees of the earth, plus photosynthetic algae and bacteria, use energy from sunlight to combine carbon dioxide from the atmosphere with water to form carbohydrates, which store energy. Oxygen is a byproduct that is released into the atmosphere. This process is known as photosynthesis. Again, think how immense this has been to have provided all the oxygen in our atmosphere. Another mechanism that lowers Earth's temperature is the massive cloud systems over the oceans, which are activated by organisms on the surface of the ocean that release gases that rise into the atmosphere, thus activating the clouds. It is life that pumps down carbon dioxide, and Lovelock argues that if there were no life on Earth, then Earth's temperature would be well over 60 degrees centigrade, rather than the present 15 degrees on average. What about our current warming? Since 1880, average Earth temperature has risen by about 1 degree centigrade. Starting in the mid-1970s, global temperatures rose half a degree centigrade over a period of 25 years, a very fast increase. From 1998 to 2012, there was little increase in Earth's temperature, probably because of great storm systems. 
whereby its surface heat was carried to the ocean depths. However, each year after 2014 was hotter than the previous and broke all records. The long-term rising heat trend of the 20th century has unequivocally resumed in the 21st. It is the unprecedented speed of this that is so damaging to life. If the history of Earth is pictured as a 24-hour clock, modern humans have been around for little more than the last 1 minute and 17 seconds. The Industrial Revolution is a minute fraction of a second ago. Yet, this industrialization, especially in its use of fossil fuels in the combustion process, is the principal cause of rising emissions of greenhouse gases and the consequent global warming. It is our obsession with economic growth, plus the huge population increases, together with our totally materialist philosophy that underpin this. Some theoretical considerations. Firstly, Lovelock has broad agreement actually with Malthus, who in 1800 argued that increasing progress in food supplies was always undermined by increases in population. Human population is predicted by the United Nations to reach 8.6 billion by 2030 and 11.2 billion by the end of the century. Lovelock believes that the general resources of the earth, including, but not just food supply, cannot cope with the demands of population and industrial growth with its pollutant impacts. Secondly, the tendency to specialisation, so prevalent in modern life, prevents us seeing the earth as a whole. The reductionist scientific method, which looks inward for causation by smaller units, needs to be combined with a holistic approach which looks outward and sees the whole context. Thirdly, Darwinian theory is part of, but not the whole truth. Gaia theory argues that life is not only in one compartment, responding through natural selection to changes in earth conditions, but rather the mass of life, the biota, deeply influences the earth system itself. For example, its oxygen and carbon levels, and therefore Earth's temperature and climate. Life is responding and altering the environment to create a habitable planet within which evolution can take place. If Darwin, says Lovelock, had known about the chemistry of the atmosphere and oceans, he would have seen that evolution involved not just the organisms, but the whole planetary surface we might then have looked upon the earth as if it were alive and known that we cannot pollute the air or use the earth's forest and ocean ecosystems as a mere source of products. We would have felt instinctively that these ecosystems must be treasured because they are part of the living earth. Remember Lovelock and Gaia theory state that the earth system behaves as a single self-regulating system with physical, chemical, biological and human components. The implications of Gaia are that Earth, then, is not just a rock on which we happen to live and exploit as we wish. It is, in some sense, says Lovelock, a living system of which we are a part. We urgently need a Gaia philosophy that changes our self-concept, whereby we falsely think of ourselves as separated and omnipotent, and places us within a larger context. Gaia theory is ecocentric, 
earth-centred, not human-centred. We do, however, have a massive negative impact on the planet. The Earth system will respond so as to restore some kind of balance, reducing the importance of, or even displacing, humans. Lovelock says that, quote, by failing to see that the Earth regulates its climate and composition, we have blundered into a war with Gaia, acting as if we were in charge. A war we cannot win. Our current climate change goes against the natural trend of the Earth, which was moving towards its next ice age. Our industrialization has stopped that, and by pushing massive amounts of carbon into the atmosphere, our problem has now reversed into overheating. Predictions. The Earth at present has an average temperature of around 15 degrees centigrade. Its rise, as predicted this century, by 5 to 8 degrees, will cause a mass drop of plant and marine life when the 20 degree point is reached. European agriculture will probably cease to produce food at the required levels at these predicted temperatures, becoming a desert region. Global food supplies will dry up. Much of the tropical landmass will become scrub and desert and will no longer serve for agriculture. Using the comparison to the Ecocene event 55 million years ago, Lovelock expects temperatures at the end of the century to level off at around 8 degrees higher on global average than at present. That is a huge change, and humans have never experienced this before. This state will last at least 100,000 years. As global warming has accelerated, the Greenland ice mass and the Antarctic ice have started to melt causing a rise in sea levels. A quarter of humanity lives near the sea level. Three quarters of the world's megacities are by the sea. From 1900 to 2016, sea levels rose by about 15 centimetres or six inches, but with almost one half of this occurring since 1993. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, predicts a possible rise of 90 centimetres, that is 3 feet, by the end of the 21st century. Other studies forecast much more. This is very difficult to predict accurately. However, they all agree that the rate of sea level rise is accelerating and that there is a strong correlation between carbon emissions, global temperature and rising sea levels. The science is very convincing. What is debatable is the speed of the process. Sea levels will rise, and major cities on the coastline at first will go underwater, with massive displacement of populations. A significant proportion of the human race, says Lovelock, will die prematurely, and the human population will be forcibly and drastically reduced, perhaps by 80%. Democracy will collapse, it will be impossible to continue as we have done, or enjoy our old standards of living. Anarchy, he suggests, will take the planet and barbaric warlords will plunder and dominate. This is not only a total threat to global civilization, but to the survival of the human species. What does Lovelock recommend? There should be a focus on the deadly effect of carbon emissions and the imperative of finding alternatives immediately. His recommendations, however, are divided. Firstly, what would immediate action have to be, presuming we could take it? 
Since electricity is indispensable to civilization, and any society regresses to the Dark Ages very quickly without it, then effective alternatives to oil and coal must be found. Alternative energies from winds, solar and tide will be, he says, insufficient. We are a long way, he believes, from being able to replace our energy systems with clean and economic technologies, although the use of some of them can be used as partial providers of energy. He is in favour of nuclear energy, which, although not ideal, is extremely efficient and has far less damaging impact than we fear, and certainly much less than carbon-based fuel production, which is poisoning us and the planet. This is a feasible medium-term solution until better technologies emerge. Secondly, Lovelock's deeper argument is that the mindless continuance of business as usual is collective suicide. Also that sustainable development, by which we continue our economic growth but become more green, is not possible. And the best strategy is, actually, sustainable retreat. Why and what does this mean? Much of the pollution, he argues, is already locked in and will have long-term effects even if we were to change radically right now. Next, it is unrealistic to suppose that the major industrial powers such as the United States and recently emerged industrial nations such as India and China will modify their pollution stance or reduce their standard of living. He next tells us, We do not grasp that pollution impacts are not linear, not proceeding in a constant predictable way. Tipping points are reached and damaging impacts accelerate the warming process. I paraphrase Lovelock. We have to keep in mind the awesome pace of change and realise how little time is left to act. And then each community and nation must find the best use of the resources they have to sustain civilization for as long as they can. Civilization is energy intensive and we cannot turn it off without crashing. So we need the security of a powered descent. Instead of wishing for global solutions which will not emerge, it would be better for countries or regions to plan locally for survival, in terms of water and energy supplies at local level, for example, and to prepare for enormous migration impacts upon their scarce resources. The worst will happen, and survivors will have to adapt to a hell of a climate. At the extreme, Lovelock then envisages an 80% reduction in human population, in which case we should leave many copies of a book, he suggests, which is as destruction-resistant as possible and which contains the information required to rebuild civilization. He outlines what it should contain. This is the most harrowing recommendation. What of critical or reflexive appraisal? Pierre Teilhard de Chardin would have loved Gaia theory but would have used its arguments to support his spiritual vision. That surely there is here a distinct telos at work, a sense of purpose and destiny. Something actually denied by later ecologists, life scientists and Lovelock himself, who have allied themselves to complexity and systems theory, by which elaborate feedback, self-balancing, homeostatic mechanisms 
and emergent phenomena develop automatically out of any system. However, Lovelock, while being clear that the Gaia hypothesis is a metaphor, thinks that we should feel as if the Earth is truly alive, that we need to be possessed by a passion for the Earth, its beauty, its function as a cradle of life and evolution, that it is in some sense sacred. Chardin would not have held back, but would have trumpeted that the Earth and evolution are a creation of God. Lovelock is only 38 years later than Théo de Chardin, just one generation. Yet so much has changed. The optimistic Omega vision has turned 180 degrees and it has become clear from abundant evidence that mankind is destroying life and is heading for a potential apocalypse. Gaia evolves through a feedback system operated unconsciously by the biota, leading to broad stabilisation of the conditions of habitability. Lovelock continues, Many processes on the Earth's surface, essential for the conditions of life, depend on the interaction of living forms, especially microorganisms, with inorganic elements. The biosphere and the evolution of life forms establish a global control system that regulates many of Earth's key variables essential for life. This philosophy has become increasingly accepted. Undoubtedly, Lovelock, of all our visionaries, offers the most serious challenge to our sense of existential security. He provides strong scientific evidence and insights that are unnerving. However, the great merit of his powerful arguments is that only by truly absorbing them might we get the will and the vision to fundamentally change. If this is not possible, then considering survival is an option. The main focus in The Revenge of Gaia is on carbon emissions, global warming and its consequences. Although this is the most serious factor, the ecological crisis, as Lovelock himself indicates, is wider. There will be two podcasts at a later date examining these wider aspects which cover water and food supplies, melting glaciers, health, waste and other pollutants and the destruction of biodiversity. Humanity is on a major collision course with Gaia and the outcome is only going one way unless a complete change in philosophy and practical policy is immediate. There have been at least five major extinction events in life history when over 75% of species have been wiped out. One of these, the Permian, 251 million years ago, actually destroyed 95% of all species. Currently, many ecologists argue we are in the middle of the sixth extinction event, except this time the cause is anthropogenic, that is caused by humanity, and very possibly will include ourselves. Those who follow these podcasts will notice I can be ambitious in what I wish to cover in a short talk. I will have to just hint at the mythological aspects of our theme and postpone a fuller exploration to another time. Also postponed to a later podcast is the connection between the ecological crisis and depth psychology, particularly Jungian psychology. On the mythological question, just one example. For traditional believers, the Garden of Eden, described in the Book of Genesis, was a real place, with real events. 
for others with religious leanings in the modern world, it has become a metaphor. For those of Jungian persuasion, it is a myth concerning the origins of consciousness. Great myths have the capacity of being reinterpreted across history because they are representative of the deep psyche of humanity with its conflicts and dilemmas. From the point of view of the contemporary ecological crisis, our Earth, this life, our amazing planet, is the Garden of Eden, is the beautiful, life-giving, wonderful, good garden, good Earth we have inherited. And the apple in the centre of the garden is our insatiable desire for knowledge, power and wealth to become as gods. Despite everything we are told, we can't resist taking the apple. And for that, we are banished to a lower existence of shame, pain and loss. After which, it becomes our most cherished wish to return to that which we once had, that Garden of Eden. But we already have that earth, that Garden of Eden, just. Do we really have to lose it to appreciate it? Imagine that future survivors will look back at our times as a golden age of a fabulous earth with teeming wealth and extraordinary beauty, the jewel of the solar system. And we destroyed it with our greed tribal competitiveness and narcissism. Now, as if the ecological crisis were not serious enough, you may recall in the introduction to these podcasts, Season 2, Episode 1, that I outlined eight horsemen of the apocalypse, which we shall cover as this series develops. Strong nerves required. They form an interdependent system, and are only separable for analytic purposes. The ecological crisis is nested within the seven other evolving crises, being influenced deeply by them and in turn impacting upon them. To remind you what they are, the conflict of ideas, the evolving economic crisis, growing political division and the rise of extremism, social inequality and fragmentation, technology, especially accelerating artificial intelligence and the alteration of human nature, intensifying military conflict and war, the spiritual vacuum of our times. The next podcast will be on Richard Dawkins and his book, The God Delusion, which you are invited to read in advance. Anyone who wants to ask any questions may send an email to podcastquestions at gmail.com. Finally, James Lovelock is 100 this year. Happy birthday, James. No thanks can be enough for your tremendous vision, which, should humanity survive the crises to come, will have played a most significant role, which, as you have taught, can only come from a profound change in philosophy and policy towards Gaia, this wonderful earth, and all living beings.